0: So I thought I would, I would try to model a little bit uh, for you what biblical theology looks like in practice. And so I'm going to run through this fairly quickly. You see you have two pages of notes there, or is it three? No, oh, it's only two. That's good. Um, we'll see how, how quickly we can get through this. Um, to, to answer a very significant question, what is it to function as an elder? What is it to function as an elder? And so if, if you are an elder or you aspire to be an elder or, you're, or you have elders, pastors, hopefully that would be everyone here, <laughs> uh, what, what is it that elders are supposed to do? You could go to 1 Peter chapter 5 where we're told this. Peter writes, So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God that is among you exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. So note, shepherd the people of God, do it in this way, so you're an example to the flock, and when the chief shepherd appears, the over-shepherd, the great shepherd, the good shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So here, then, being an, an elder is tied to shepherding. The word pastor in the New Testament is really the word shepherd. It's really the word shepherd. Um, and, and, and so you don't actually run into the, to the noun pastor that often. Ephesians 4 is one example. For the most part, whenever you see the noun, it's a shepherd, a keeper of animals, or it's a it's a metaphor for taking care of people. And how, what do you do? You shepherd. Pastors, pastor. Shepherd, shepherd. Those are the exact same words, noun, and verb. So pastors, shepherd. Elders, shepherd. And you do it as Jesus did. You notice in that, that passage I just read that the idea of shepherding is tied to Jesus, who is the great shepherd, the over-shepherd, the chief shepherd, but so, so, so that tells us some things. But, okay, so shepherding is very important to the task of a pastor, the, the task of an elder, elder sh- shepherd, elders eld, I guess, if you want to turn it into a verb. But, but what is that? It has a lot to do with shepherding. Fortunately, the Bible has, has a lot to say about shepherding. And So let's do a biblical theology of shepherding we start in Genesis 1. We don't see the word shepherd there, but we see humans on on the scene for the first time. Adam and Eve are created in the image of God. They are literally images of God, images of God, little representatives of him to take care of his stuff, to take care of his stuff. And they've been given this mandate that comes. Now, of course, Genesis 3 happens. We've already talked about that expect trouble along the way. And so there's going to be a lot of trouble with shepherding people. Matter of fact, the need for shepherds is going to arise precisely because of Genesis 3. People are going to need others to take care and to help them. It also tells us that uh, people are going to rebel against the shepherds. And it tells us too, probably, that shepherds aren't always going to shepherd the way they're supposed to. All of that because of Genesis 3. Um, we, We run into the word shepherd for the first time in Genesis 4, where we're introduced to Abel, the unfortunate brother of Cain, the victim of Cain. But we're told this in chapter 4, verse 2. And again, she, okay, the first time she gives birth to a son, it's Cain. Again, she, Eve, bore his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a, and in the ESV, it says a keeper of sheep. But it literally says, a shepherd of sheep. But I guess the translators didn't want to put it that way. So shepherd first appears in Genesis chapter 4. No mention of a shepherd after that for the first point, or for for the most part. Um, it It is interesting, though. The very first shepherd we run into is Abel. He offers a pleasing sacrifice, which is, I don't know if that's significant or not. And he was killed, which probably... Is a bummer if you're trying to put together, now, how is it I'm supposed to be an elder? Um, the, first, the first shepherd was murdered. Um, he won't be the last, though. So, um, we, we move through Noah, no mention of, of shepherds at this point in time, although he did take care of a lot of animals. We note that, but the word isn't used at all. So we, we just drive by the, the rest area or the, the site that is the Noahic covenant, and we get to Abraham, and we'll, we'll pause there. All the patriarchs are shepherds, all of them, significantly so. It surely tells us something that the most important people in the story of redemptive history are shepherds. And we learn a little bit about what shepherding is from them. They're taking care of animals. They're making sure they're alive. That's about all we learn, but it's very important. Genesis 48, though, we get to the first metaphorical mention of a shepherd, and this is with Jacob when he is standing before uh, or no, it, well, it is with Jacob, um, and, and he is talking to his, his sons, uh, in particular, Joseph. And in Genesis 48, we get this blessing from Joseph. Joseph bless or I'm sorry, a blessing from Jacob. I'll slow down so I can talk right we get this blessing from Jacob. Jacob is dying and he wants to impart a blessing to Joseph. And so he says, the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life long to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the boys and in them let my name be carried on in the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Here is the first metaphorical use of the term shepherd, and it's what God does when he takes care of people. God was Jacob's shepherd, and he had been his whole life. And this is interesting because when, when Jacob was talking to Pharaoh, how did Jacob characterize his life? It has been long and full of trouble. It has been hard. It's been a hard life. And yet when he's on his deathbed, he's talking to Joseph, and he says, that God has been my shepherd all my life long to this very day. From this point on, most of the references to shepherd are going to be metaphorical, not of keepers of sheep, literally, but of keepers of people. Now, not all of them, but but many of them. We go from Moses to David. So so now we we, we get to Moses. We've reflected on how far we've come with Abraham. And we see that there are lots of shepherds and they're important. But God is a shepherd because he takes care of people. We move from Moses along to David. As we move along the story, we find with Moses that he himself was a shepherd. A literal shepherd. He spent years in the wilderness. More years in the wilderness taking care of sheep than years in Pharaoh's court learning how to be a, a political leader Moses is God's hand-picked savior if you will right hand-picked where he learned most of his lessons taking care of sheep than in pharaoh's court I think that's significant he learned it's a so Moses if you will we can say it this way Moses is a shepherd, spent years in the wilderness, feeding, caring, leading, and protecting stubborn and stupid creatures. He also took care of some sheep along the way as well. In Numbers 27, though, Moses has this to say. Uh, he, He looks on and he sees sheep without a shepherd. He sees sheep without a shepherd, and, and, and that, uh, God does. And that, uh, God says, I, I, th- there have got to be leaders for your people because I see your people, and they're like sheep without a shepherd. And that moves, that moves the great shepherd God to compassion. It tells us that seeing sheep without a shepherd is a bad thing. Shepherded sheep are a good thing. And so when God looks down and he sees people who are leaderless, that is not a good place to be. It's also not a good place to have bad shepherds. But the ideal is sheep with a good shepherd. The ideal for God's people, faithful people living under godly leadership. Sheep with a shepherd. We move along from David and we're introduced to, is it any, is, is any wonder? David himself is a little shepherd boy, right? Kings are installed over Israel and these are given the explicit task of shepherding God's people. And the greatest king in Israel's history was the shepherd king himself, David. And as we move along in history, we find that shepherds, as we think about what shepherds do, they care, they provide, they protect, and they lead. If you were to think about what, what do shepherds, as you read through the Old Testament, you figure out what, what is it shepherds are doing? They care for, they, or nurture, they provide, they feed, they protect, and they guide, or they lead over and over again and then David introduces God as the good shepherd his his 23rd psalm celebrates the caring the providing the protecting the, the guiding God who shepherds his people and, and and as you read through psalm 23 and it's beautiful metaphorical language there are some truths about what God does that if we distilled them it would be God provides for his sheep God protects his sheep, God guides his sheep, and God cares for his sheep. Now, so I I, I just distilled the great theology of Psalm 23 in like four sentences that are kind of boring to read, but but Psalm 23 is beautiful, but but, but those are the affirmations we find in Psalm 23 about what God does as the good shepherd. We also know as we've moved along this story and we're moving along the contours that David is the great shepherd king. God tells the kings of Israel, shepherd my people. It's a delegated responsibility. Shepherd my people, he says over and over again. But the kings of Israel, as you know, are a mixed bag. The kings of the northern tribes are all rotten. There's 18 kings of Judah, and only six of them are good, are described as good. So there's a lot of bad shepherding that's going on. And we read this in Isaiah chapter 40. Behold, the Lord God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. Now, these are hard words of judgment that's about to come. Behold, your God is coming and he brings his recompense with him. Scary. It's the transcendent God, the holy other. But look at verse 11 in Isaiah 40. He will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. Two verses side by side. Behold the transcendent God who comes with power and might and punishment and reward. Behold the imminent God who is near and he holds his people like a shepherd, cradles a lamb, carries them. Get to Isaiah chapter 56, verses 10 and 11. I don't have this one right now, so I'll read it to you. Isaiah 56. This is why I print my verses out. I haven't mastered putting on reading glasses in a way that doesn't look anything like a guy who's trying to avoid poking his eyes out. Um, here's what God thinks of the irresponsible leaders of Israel. His watchmen are blind. They are all without knowledge. They are all silent dogs. They cannot bark, dreaming, lying down, loving to slumber. The dogs have a mighty appetite. They never have enough. But they are shepherds who have no understanding. They have all turned to their own way, each to his own gain, one and all. Because God is a shepherd, he delegates responsibility to others. And woe to those who don't take that shepherding task seriously. And we find that nothing brings about the white-hot wrath of God more, quicker than a false shepherd. Someone entrusted with the responsibility of caring for God's people who then takes that responsibility and the privileges there created by the vulnerability of people whom they're supposed to care for and then uses that to abuse that responsibility, hurt the people for the shepherd's personal gain. And the major prophets and the minor prophets, they all describe who a bad shepherd is and how it brings about the devastating judgment of God, because his patience runs out eventually. We often think of God, well, God is the one with eternal and unlimited everything. He's the all-powerful one. He's the all-wise one. He's the all-knowing one. He knows everything. And we think, well, God is the all-patient one. Like he's got infinite patience. But the Bible never says that. The Bible says God's patience runs out eventually. We see that all through the Bible. And nothing depletes the patience of God quicker than abusive shepherds. Listen to Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat. You clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed them. The weak you have not strengthened. The sick you have not healed. The injured you have not bound up. The strayed you have not brought back. The lost you have not sought. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. What are shepherds supposed to do? They're supposed to... provide for lead care for guide but they're doing none of those things and they're doing all the opposite things doing all the opposite thing so they were scattered god's sheep because there was no shepherd we already know god hates that sheep without a shepherd scattered and they became food for all the wild beasts my sheep were scattered god says he takes this very personally They wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord as I live, declares the Lord God. Surely because my sheep have become a prey and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts since there was no shepherd and because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore, you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths that they may not be food for them. If we were to distill a few things, or we would hear one, to, to, to have no shepherd or, or to have a bad shepherd, that, that's a curse. It's like evidence of judgment. A bad shepherd, we're told, ignores the Lord. A bad shepherd is not watchful. And shepherds are not to shepherd for personal gain. We know this, right? That leadership and just like counseling, it works best when there's some vulnerability. And the people of God are all vulnerable, for good it's supposed to be for good. We're, we're, we, we need to live vulnerable lives with each other so others can speak truth into their lives into our lives and, and, and we can be encouraged and edified and even challenged or rebuked. all of that's necessary all of that's necessary in order to grow there's a necessary vulnerability, but with that vulnerability comes danger as well because because you're vulnerable, people can take their the, 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 leadership or the responsibility they have and they can use that to hurt others in ways that are deeply painful and 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 we know that we've seen that over and over again where false shepherds or bad shepherds will take a a, a good vulnerability and they'll abuse it and harm people in devastating ways And, and and maybe that describes some of you where you've been on the receiving end of that And and I I guess I could say two things. One is I'm deeply sorry. And two, God sees that. And he knows that. It is not going unnoticed, and he is keeping score. You will be vindicated. And the people who hurt you will be punished. That's, I think, what the word of God is saying here. Then listen to these next verses from Ezekiel, and and just listen to the personal pronouns here. Remember, you didn't do this, you did this other stuff instead. You didn't do this, but you did this other stuff. Listen to Ezekiel 34 going on, the next six verses. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I will seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries, and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel, by the ravines, and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture, and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture. They shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the last and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. God will do this. That's the promise. Salvation is of the Lord. God is the good shepherd. He will save them. But then look at the very next breath, the very next verse. I will establish them over. I, I will establish over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he will shepherd them. He will tend them himself and will be their shepherd. You think? Well, wait a second. You just said that you were going to be the shepherd. God is the good shepherd, and now you're going to send. Another, you're going to send another David who will be the shepherd. Which is it? Is it God or is it a human? Is it God or is it a son of David? Who is it? Maybe both. It sets us up, doesn't it? For Jesus. Jesus makes very clear that he is the good shepherd. Why do we know that? Because he literally said it. I am the good shepherd. And that comes with all of the freight and all of the power of Ezekiel 34, where God, the good shepherd himself, says, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And then Jesus shows up in the scene and he says, I am the good shepherd. He is simultaneously God in the flesh, Emmanuel, God with us. God making good on his promise, I will shepherd my people. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and then Jesus is the son of David, the one that God appointed to rule over his people and shepherd them. Jesus is very human too. When Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, do you see how that says so much more than just like a metaphor for, oh, and by the way, I'm going to take really good care of you guys. It's full of all of this biblical theological freight that comes with it. Matthew nine thirty six. it's no surprise then Jesus looks over the crowds and he went, verse 36, when he saw the crowds, he felt compassion on them because they were distressed and dejected like sheep without a shepherd. Well, of course he did because he's God. <laughs> and that's how God responds to people without a shepherd. Jesus likened his role of judge to that of a shepherd in Matthew 25. All the nations will be gathered before him, Jesus tells the story, and he will separate them one from another just as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus is the good shepherd who's going to judge as well. At the end, when Jesus was predicting his death and the responses of his disciples, he quoted Old Testament prophecy that orients around a shepherd. In Mark 14, 27, 27, it reads this way. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will fall away because it is written, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. Even as he approached the cross, Jesus was thinking himself as the good shepherd who fulfilled prophecy. But then Jesus goes even further. He doesn't see himself just as fulfilling the role of the good shepherd. He names himself the good shepherd in John 10. It's not very subtle. I am the good shepherd. But he adds to the description of what the good shepherd would do. Remember, we're on a, the, the story progresses as we move along. So no longer is the good shepherd just one who leads and provides and protects and cares. But Jesus says, the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. And we have just run right through the gospel now. And the task of shepherding is transformed completely. Now, yeah, shepherds did risk their life to do things, but Jesus says the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Whatever a biblical theology of shepherding is, it has just been absolutely transformed. Because in biblical theology, all roads lead through the cross, don't they? And this one ran right through it and was transformed forever. Jesus, before he ascends to the Father, he commissions Peter to take over his, the responsibility of what? What did Jesus say in John 21? Peter, feed my sheep. He delegates to him now the responsibility of being a shepherd. He repeatedly asks Peter if he loves him. And in John's narrative, Jesus uses two different words for love. But what I want to focus on here is each time in Jesus' response, of course I love you, of course I love you, of course I love you. What is his response? feed my lambs, shepherd my sheep, feed my sheep. Those are his responses to the three questions and Peter's three answers. And then he prophesies right after that, that one day Peter's going to die doing it just like Jesus did. Well, other, others must have been listening on to this conversation with Peter because from that point on, the job of the elder is to shepherd the sheep of Jesus. Paul says it, Luke says it, and so does Peter. And then when, Peter, when Paul, for example, gathered the elders of Ephesus to say goodbye to them, he gives the following mandate. Be on guard for yourselves and for all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God, which he purchased with his own blood. What do, what do elders do? They shepherd. How do they do it? The way that Jesus did. Peter adds the twist. We read it earlier. I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and witness to the sufferings of Christ, as well as one who shares in the glory about to be revealed. Shepherd God's flock among you. Not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Not out of greed for money, but eagerly. Do you hear the echoes of Ezekiel 34 in this? Not like the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34, but like the good shepherd of what God does in Ezekiel 34. Not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And then one day, when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Every pastor, every elder is an under-shepherd to the great and good shepherd himself, Jesus Christ that's the task that elders have now but the story doesn't end there it actually ends at the beginning of eternity in the consummated state when the good shepherd himself welcomes all those who have loved him and suffered for him into his presence john writes this in revelation chapter 7 verse 17 for the lamb who is at the center of the throne will shepherd them he the great Lamb of God, who is also the Lion of Judah, who is Jesus Christ. He will guide them to springs of the waters of life, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Jesus is the great shepherd, the head of the church, the sovereign God. And the head of the church does care how his church is led, and he gives to the church elders and deacons as a gift Elders who will shepherd, who will pastor, and who are supposed to do so as he himself has shepherd and continues to shepherd. And your, it's metaphorical perhaps, but your destiny, your hope, that which you should be clinging to is that one day you will see face to face the good shepherd himself. And then, and only then, will there be relief from all that has troubled, there will be vindication from all that has assailed, and there will be joy, finally and forever, because we'll see the shepherd. Anyway, Okay, so that's, that's a little bit of how I would put together a biblical theology. Just start at the beginning, Move to the end. See how it develops as you work along. It's going to run and intersect with the gospel. And if it's, if, if it's a significant biblical theological theme, it's going to, it's going to be intersected significantly and transformed. But, but you don't stop there. You move on to the end um, through this church age and then on to the eternal state forever. Okay.